The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Yesterday is fellow to the American Academy for the Advancement of Science, Professor William A. Tiller of Stanford University's Department of Material Science, spent 34 years in academia after nine years as an advisory physicist with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. He's published over 250 conventional scientific papers, three books and several patents. In parallel, for over 30 years, he has been avocationally pursuing serious experimental and theoretical study of the field of psychoenergetics, which will very likely become an integral part of tomorrow's physics. In this new area, he has published an additional 100 scientific papers and four seminal books. Professor Tiller, welcome. And good afternoon to you, David. Great to be here. We have had uh, wonderful two, uh, two wonderful programs uh, charting your life. Yes. And talking about your experiences all the way from your childhood through to your days at Oxford and yes. Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I think that today we may want to concentrate more on your experimentation, your uh, theories. We talked last time to your theories on the nodal structure. I don't think that we really hit on the bio suit levels. I wonder if we could look at that uh, in starting this program. Well, you want to start with theory before experiment? That would be super. (laughs) Okay. My working hypothesis is that there are three cells in humans. And the metaphor that I like to draw is to think of a sphere. And the sphere, there are three zones. There's an outermost zone of the sphere that's made of two different layers of substance, different kinds of substance, uniquely different. One of them comes from our normal electric charge-based atom molecule stuff. The inner layer of the two is from the coarsest layer of the physical vacuum type of stuff. And this is what I think we put on when we are born, and I think we take off when we decide to leave this plane of reality. And so it's like a diving bell that you need when you're in a particular environment, and I have called it a bio-body suit. And that to me is the personality self which originally probably came from uh, an animal species of this planet because then there was long, long times needed to develop the physical sensory systems, the five physical senses. Most people think that's all there is. I think the middle zone of this sphere is perhaps the evolving uh, entity in this construct, and that is made of three layers of stuff, the outermost being the emotion domain stuff, the middle layer is the mind domain stuff, and the innermost layer is an aspect of spirit domain stuff, and I call that the soul self. That layer that you talked about initially 
the personality self. That's what we all see in each other. Now, is that yes. is that a dangerous layer? Should we consider that a dangerous layer? What do you mean by dangerous? Is it something that we perceive that is not our enti- entire self? Oh, it is an illusion if you think that is the entire self. Yes. And uh, yes, it is dangerous in that sense because you don't see your whole self and to thine own self be true. And so um, you better get it straight. Um, That's why it takes many, many lifetimes for people to see themselves. The uh, innermost layer is what I call the high spirit self. It's the core of this sphere. The high spirit self, the source self, the God self, whatever words you like to choose, and that these are three interacting selves. Um, They're all in the same space. They're just at different levels of that space. So I should say um, you could look at this as a kind of transduction device separating the God self and the outer environment, sort of like step-down transformers. And the soul self, of course, is one step down, and then the personality self is another step down, and then the environment is outside of that, our space-time environment. Where is the vacuum placed in in between which of these layers? Well, the vacuum, you see, I think is made of several layers. It's just not one homogeneous, people think of as emptiness, but you see, you could have emptiness if everything in in that space was going faster than the velocity of light our sensory capacity from the electrodynamic aspect is unable to perceive anything that goes faster than light. Um, So that's why people think of it as empty. And it's really, by definition, it's only empty with respect to the fundamental particles that make up electric atoms and molecules. There's huge space between those fundamental particles in an atom. It's mostly empty space, apparently, space, that you can't see something in it. But it's teeming with stuff, okay? But all going faster than light, so you, none of our instruments can perceive it. Some gifted individuals have the kind of sight capacity where they can perceive uh, phenomena in those domains. What is the influence, either from the outside or from the inside, that transitions you between these layers? Well, this is a theoretical construct of mine. The the outermost layer needs its five physical senses to sense its outer environment, and therefore that environment is a perfectly valid classroom Uh, for this entire system to perceive things. Within the inner layer of that personality self, that bio-body suit, I think that's where the acupuncture meridian chakra systems function. Um, That's where homeopathy functions. That's where the human unconscious functions. And I think of that as the template for the development in the electric charge-based atom molecule layer of stuff. So that's a very important layer for us, and our present technology doesn't really access it directly. It has some indirect access to it um, in in terms of the electric atom molecule, pardon me, the uh, uh, acupuncture meridian system. The acupuncture meridian system, if I'm in my working hypothesis, that's a magnetic charge-based system which uh, functions faster than light, but it can leave a trace uh, in the electric layer of self. And that's what we tend to perceive as the acupuncture system, which can be affected by uh, pressure, light, a metal needle, etc. So there are It's very difficult um, to clearly access uh, that layer. 
we have developed a measurement system um, where we can measure aspects of the phenomena of that layer um, and quantitatively see how far departed the energy state of that layer is relative to uh, our normal electric atom molecule stuff. And so I, uh, it's in the experimental data that we see phenomena that relate to that layer. So that was why I thought it might be useful to stop, start with those phenomena. But nonetheless, the, uh, we, we begin to be able to access them. We begin to be able to access some phenomena that in the uncoupled state appear to go faster than reality. I have proposed a, an energy, a moiety, okay, which may be particle or maybe wave, I just don't know at this point in time, from the domain of emotion, which is outside of relativity theory, so it has the possibility of going slower than light or faster than light. And therefore, on the one hand, it could interact with the electric atom molecule stuff, which goes slower than the velocity of light, and on the other hand, could interact with the magnetic information wave stuff in the coarsest level of the vacuum, uh, that goes faster than light. And thus you can produce what I call the coupled state of physical reality. It's, a, it's like a composite material. That is, a, this can develop as kind of particulates or domains within the stuff of this wood or of, um, the uh, polymeric material that you have on the walls or your shirt or what have you, or in the, in the physical bodies. But we're, but we're not, as human beings, evolved enough yet. That's correct. To we perceive these, I was going to use in very uh, a very simplistic <laughs> uh, sighting of the orbs as as something mm -hmm. that, that has a contextual connection here with with, yes. with where you're going with these layers. Yes, the the indeed, um, I see the orbs as a, a manifestation of higher dimensional intelligence um, which can be captured by digital photography and by some individuals who develop their inner selves can be captured by uh, an augmentation of their normal eyesight. You have talked about the spiritual participation here and I know that in your notes we, we look at intentionality what is it in that intentional uh, concept that we're looking at that actually does transform us from layer to layer okay I can only really talk meaningfully about the two layers but let, let me t uh, try to approach this um, some of it will be speculative we create a class of phenomena never seen before in normal reality. Uh, we can make the pH of water, the acid alkaline balance of water, go up by at least one pH unit or more. The same water down one pH unit or more with no chemical additions. And we do it by providing an intention into the space. And the intention is developed into a simple electrical device from a deep meditative state. And it's almost like programming a computer, except you're not using words and you're not typing them in. You are doing them from the soul level of self, the spiritual, mental, emotional aspects that from a deep meditative state and probably what's called the void, um, this precipitation into the device of, we'll call it nested information, can be manifest. This, we, is, this is talking to those that we that, that Dr. Klaus Heinemann talks about who, who can move objects. 
No, they don't have to be do telekinesis, but they they have to be inner self managed. They have to have built infrastructure into these inner layers of self, um, and they generally, I think, are doing this. We, I think, we are doing this with the aid of the what I'll call the unseen intelligence in the in the cosmos. Um, in essence, what we do when we imprint a device, um, there are really three stages. The first one is, well, first of all, I write an imprint statement for the kind of experiment that I want to do. And so we go into a deep meditative state. Like in the beginning, there were four people. We've done it with six, we've done it with three, we've done it with two. Um, we go into a deep meditative state and and connect with each other around the table where the device is sitting, uh, plugged in usually into the wall and turned on. We, we connect at the heart level and at the consciousness level to join, to really form a unity. And we connect with the unseen to form a unity and couple between these domains of reality. And then we cleanse the experimental space uh, as best we can with our minds and our intentions. And then the first part of the imprint statement, which I normally read, is to activate the indwelling consciousness of the space. So the assumption, is, of course, is that all of the space is conscious. Okay. So it's, it's conscious not only in the individual's presence, but also in the community. It's, it's latently conscious, okay? Um, that's my presumption. And so the first step is to activate it. And the activation releases this thing I have called deltrons, which are like particles of intelligence that go, can go faster or slower than light. The second step is to activate the consciousness to a sufficient degree that we have a high concentration of deltrons generated. And when the high concentrations of deltrons are generated, then this lifts what's called the electromagnetic gauge symmetry state from our normal reality, that's called the capital U bracket one bracket gauge symmetry state, which really means it's that there is only the one is related to the fact that there's one meaningful undetermined parameter, which is the phase angle of the electron wave function. Okay? It's electrical in nature. And so the idea is to have enough deltrons that it activates the next higher level of reality. That's called the capital S, capital U, bracket two, bracket. And the two comes from the fact that now there are two independent variables. The, electro, the electron uh, wave function phase angle and the magnetic monopole wave function phase angle. So there's two, and this is in exotic levels of f physics theories that in the early stage of forming the universe before even gas formed, there was the SU2 state where electric charge and magnetic charge naturally coexisted. And these two states have to be in perfect symmetry? I don't know what perfect symmetry means in that sense, this is an aspect of symmetry that's very rich in physics, difficult for most people to understand, difficult to easily explain. It probably means we don't know enough about it. But there is a symmetry, and physics has always wanted this to see the symmetry of magnetic charge in harmony with electric charge. And it does exist at that higher gauge symmetry state and probably in the formation of the cosmos while it's still incredibly hot, plasma kind of level, or maybe above that. And what happens is as the, 
planets are formed and things cool down to the gaseous and then the liquid and then the solid state, the gauge symmetry state splits and only the electric charge monopole survives. The other one does not survive. All we have are magnetic dipoles. Why, 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 reality. And why is it not surviving one of those components? I wish I understood. No one understands. But we, there's a break in the symmetry. Uh, one has to give way to the other. One has to give way uh, to the other, exactly. It, it, and, and the split may be that the other is there, but it's going faster than light. And so it cannot be detected by our present detectors. I prefer to think of it that way because my, our experimental data seems to indicate the coarsest level of the physical vacuum is going faster than light. And all the things of the physical vacuum are probably going faster than light. I, I'm trying to correlate this in practical terms, if, and this is why I'm throwing that out. If, if one is giving way to the other, it, it, the, the human mind does have to shed past experiences in order to allow the other to succeed and to come through, and I'm trying to correlate those okay, two Okay, let, let's, two let's look at it because there's an important piece here. That is, back in the 60s and 70s, a lot of very good physicists around the world received funds to look for the magnetic monopole because physics wanted to see this symmetry exist in nature. And they had good equipment, and they looked for the magnetic monopole, and they didn't find it. So the simple conclusion that people took is, oh, there is no magnetic monopole. Isn't nature strange? Uh, however, we find evidence that if you lift the symmetry state to the SU2 level, then you get experimental responses that seem the only way you can explain is via presence of magnetic monopoles. But of course, we as human beings have to be in a position to be able to illustrate that. Ourselves. Well, ultimately, you have to do experiments. And so the orthodox science community, if, if one of them seriously wanted to have us come in and condition their space where their equipment is to the higher gauge symmetry level, I believe they will find magnetic monopoles and thus open a new territory for discovery. But the key issue is it cannot be accessed from our normal U1 gauge symmetry state. That's what people didn't think about. And I, our work is saying, I think it's time you thought about this. Where do we have to be in practical terms to be able to consider that sort of experimentation? We are there. I mean, we, we uh, imprint these devices every day and do experiments every day. Um, from this higher symmetry level, and that's the level that's affected by intention, not the electric atom molecule level. It's this faster-than-light level. If you, if you took this word, this terminology intention, and you converted that into a, a layman's well, you could call definition, it, yeah. would, would, you, would you call a, it... A wish, a desire. A determination. A determination, a prayer. I mean, it's a question. These things are very close together. So in actual fact, uh, you could possibly cite uh, certain people in the world who would illustrate this, whether it was a celebrity or uh, an author or a philosopher who had actually reached this, this plane without us actually realizing it. Yes, of course. Yes, I think it's one that we will all reach in our further evolution. What does it take, having looked at that, that sort of detail, what does it take the human being in terms of intention in today's world? What is that word intention saying? What is it defining? What do we have to achieve to even get to that point of having intentionality? I think every act of our life is an intention. We've just forgotten that it was conscious at one point in time. Babies are closer to it in the sense that they have to learn to crawl and they have to learn to walk and they have to learn to talk, etc. We've done that we, we, looking back, you know, we've forgotten that there was a time when we couldn't do that. And I tend to think that our whole cosmos came into being by the divine intention.
from the source. So, in any event, these are these are ideas and concepts, and they are realities. We've we've put intention into a very robust reality. We've done four experiments that show that at this point in time, humans can change the properties of experiments by their intention. Uh, we chose to do it by an intermediate step of first putting it into a box, electronic box or electrical box, which science would think is, is even more impossible to do, uh, and have that box, ship it a thousand miles and turn it on and do the experiment there. Could it possibly be that your job may be done for you, given the circumstances that we find ourselves in the world today? That it will be enforced upon us? That experiment oh, will, will oh, oh. in itself yes. manifest itself? Yes, I think it will, because I think we can change the world for better. We can enhance it in seemingly all ways, all technologies that exist in the world today. We haven't done the exp all the experiments yet, but, but it seemed to indicate that we can, to some degree, enhance the properties. Inorganic materials, organic materials in vitro, organic materials in vivo. But we can create a situation, business, expanded technologies, but we will be producing at this point in time a metastable state. And the only way you can stay in the metastable state and give you these advanced properties is if people become pumper-uppers instead of drainer-downers. This is where I keep thinking about the sustainability arguments, yes. uh, the, the carbon footprint. Yes. This is applies as much to what you are talking about as it does to the carbon footprint. It yes, is about it, it is about not only the individual through intentionality leaving a footprint, but more importantly in this world now where we find ourselves a community footprint and that is, is that yes. the main focus that we should be looking at now? Ultimately, we want to have a human molecule, a coherent community who can do what we do in the laboratory as a collective, and then the power of their efforts will go up as the square of the number. Huge effects, and perhaps lower the average temperature of the world by one or two degrees, and, and remove the carbon generated into the atmosphere by providing its counterpart, neutralize it. So really you have to have a um, figurehead to achieve that? There has to be a beginning. Our work is a kind of beginning of this sort of thing. And you can do it, we're doing it, by a device, as an intermediary. Um, very advanced yogis, swamis, um, from the Asian culture, uh, Qigong masters from the Asian culture can do these things. Um, but in general, humans are not reliable enough to do reproducible experiments. That was one of the reasons I wanted to do this thing of first putting it into an electronic box, a device that my intuition suggested might work, and it has worked. Um, but to get to the human molecule aspect as a community um, working with a coherent purpose, workingly coherent with a, a desirable intention, they first have to become coherent within themselves. And that's a very important step. You know, if you take one of these fluorescent bulbs that are in your ceiling, they're about 150 watts, I guess. Um, and the reason you get light from them, it's not a lot of light, but, but it's light, um, is because there is destructive interference. They're out of phase with each other, the photons that leave there. If you could somehow manage to put them into phase with each other, then with the same number of photons coming out per unit time from the bulb, you would have an energy intensity probably a hundred times the surface of the sun. 
So that's the latent potential that is in that bulb. Um, and it's the same thing with us. We have huge inner potential. I talked last time about the latent energy stored in the physical vacuum. To access it, one has to build infrastructure and coherence into ourselves. And once we can do that with respect to ourselves, then we can begin to do it in a group mode. And, and we know that your experiments have proved this. We know that there are individuals, whether you cited Gandhi or, or anybody else, who, who has this immense power and strength. But on the other side of that, where we are in evolution today certainly suggests that there are those who cannot achieve this or, higher, or, this, or, or, this higher or, or, position. Or will not. Will not by effort. I mean, in essence, they, we all have the infrastructure within us. In fact, our experiments show that the human acupuncture meridian system is already at the coupled level of reality when we were born. Well, I don't know about when we were born, but basically we did experiments that showed that uh, we got a similar kind of result to what we did in a conditioned space. And, mm -hmm. and, and they, so that's there. That's there as a, as a real source within us um, at this outermost layer of reality. What is the implication of free will in this argument? Free will uh, is always a choice. I mean, we, we need free will in order to choose, and we screw up often and eventually have to learn to be careful how we choose. I mean, this is a classroom, and so we need to practice, practice, practice to become inner self-managed, well-governed, to see others as one part of oneself, to see the community as part of the whole and us part of that. And that's all necessary for us. You know, we don't live this life alone. Where does spirit, where is spirit placed in that exactly? All right, let's go back a step. To me, consciousness is the byproduct of spirit entering dense matter. Now, what does that mean? In my modeling, we have to build infrastructure into ourselves, and spirit can attach to infrastructure, new infrastructure. And if spirit attaches to new infrastructure, we become a little more conscious. And spirit could be interchanged with this word intentionality? Spirit, I think that the creation of our cosmos and our creation of every intention that we do comes from the level of spirit. To me, we are all spirits having the physical experience as we ride the river of life together. Our spiritual parents dressed us in these bio-body suits put us in this playpen that we call a universe in order to grow in coherence, in order to develop our gifts of intentionality, and in order to become what we were intended to become, which is co-creators with our spiritual parents. We are co-creating our future by every act, thought, attitude, and action of our lives. But I mean to do it big time and to do it properly. What is, what are the major steps now for listeners if they wish to shed the human position of betrayal, forgiveness, all of these issues that, that we all go through in order to re reach this different plane, to reach this solid intention of finding our own spirit to the extent which we become so successful that we can see a change in those that come across us in our lives? I think you have to really desire it first. I think you have to be willing to work on yourself, to meditate, learn how to be quiet, the noise from our society, 
and the noise in our society is huge, overpowering, reflect, look within, work on self to see someone else as a part of yourself, come to see the world through your heart, try to connect your heart and your brain. They connect, by the way, at signals at 0.14 hertz, generally. Uh, so these are all things that others have done that they can do, and they, they have to try and try and try and keep doing and radiate the best of themselves to the world. See themselves as part of a system and others as part of them, a key part. Ultimately, you can't do without. That is, a, that is certainly the vision and, and, to my mind, what we have to do, not only as individuals but as a society. But, of course, we do have the great stresses and strains well, of, most, of the material world that, that, that get in this way. Most people are tremendously attached to the material world. Part of it is because they think that's all there is. I think that's a great error. Um, they've been sold a bill of goods by the last 400 years of science. Um, because in orthodox science view, since the days of Descartes, no human qualities of consciousness, intention, emotion, mind, spirit, can significantly influence a well-designed target experiment in physical reality. If you truly believe that, then all humans are are meat. And they're not. The things that make us human are these things that I just mentioned. Out, out of all of those aspects, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but out of all of those aspects, is emotion possibly one of the worst of those? It's one of the best of those, actually. And when I use emotion, I don't mean random chaotic emotion. I mean the emotion that a great actor must control within self to appear to speak normally and yet be heard lucidly by the individual in the back row of the auditorium and up in the gods kind of thing. The great ones can do that. That, to me, is emotion where you give the words power to evoke that sense in the listener. I had in our notes mentioned Alberto Velodo, who is a Cuban-born psychologist. Mm. I know the name. I don't know a lot about his work. He's uh, studied the shamanic healing practices. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and this does fall into, yes. into what you're, you're talking about here with, with some of these deeper aspects and these deeper layers. Is this something that that people should study, should look at as possibly um, if they don't have the education or they don't have access to, to the, 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 the condition that we're talking about here, that possibly they can look at ancient uh, wisdoms, ancient healings? I think so, and I think it's important to recognize that the except for surgery, and even that's questionable, um, the shamanic societies have as good a record in healing practices as our modern medicine. Uh, Stanley Krippner wrote about that work as a psychologist quite some time ago. Um, it is a question of belief. The shamanic, the shaman, shaman, is a little more advanced than the other folks, more inner self-managed than the other folks. But there, it's within a culture of belief. And therefore, the power can be manifested. The power ultimately is all in the human. If the human will make the effort 
to build the infrastructure itself. As we begin in ourselves to study the four layers, that, that process that you talk about, uh, and undertake that for ourselves, are we focusing on our self first before we can focus on those around us that will ultimately be changed by our actions? There is always going to be collateral damage that we do to those around us as we work our way through life. Um, we would like it, maybe I should say collateral effects. If we are not awake, then some of those effects will be damaged. The more we become awake, awake the more they will become nourishment to the others. So it's, I think it's a bootstrap process that you, you're doing it all the time, the best you can. If you care enough, then you will be radiating nourishment to those around you. The more you do, the more the unseen intelligence of the universe will assist. And this can be any, anything that you undertake. It can be the way you walk, the way you smile, the way you talk, anything, anything. that you do in life. Absolutely. And that takes... And just washing dishes is, works too. So this is a dedicated, non-stop, continual force that you have to take on or you have to manifest yes you 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 take on the commitment you see if I, you're willing to take on the commitment and i'm only saying that and i'm only using the word have to yes because, it's a choice because, yes because clearly uh, you look at the world today you look at the oil spill in the gulf you you you, you can number you can you can count up on two hands the problems that we have yes the, i would add the toes yes and there's no doubt that we are getting to a apex now we're at a transformation point it's a real transition point in humankind, evolutionary transition point. Now, I don't know how long it'll take before the next big epoch begins, but it, uh, it's coming. Because if you brought in uh, social historians into this argument, or mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, politicians, whatever you like, they would want to talk about this in terms of historical evidence they would want to be able to cite what has gone before i'm beginning to look at that and think actually that it's somewhat academic that perhaps we shouldn't be looking back anymore but actually looking at this very minute we we should but if we look back and we don't focus on the average we focus on those who have manifested Krishna, Zoroaster, Melchizedek, Moses, Lutzal, Confucius, Buddha, Jesus, Mohammed, Abdul Baha. There have been great ones walk the earth. The separation in consciousness between them and the average is really huge. But they have been there, and if, they, if, if anyone can do it, all can do it. I suppose the fear of the human being is not knowing what the outcome is. Oh. I mean, if you look at Gandhi, yeah. you look at Moses, and Moses yeah. reaches that high point to the promised land, and God says, I'm not going to let you go there. And, and Gandhi, you look at him after this amazing life that he's actually killed by a Hindu. 
I suppose that's another trait as human beings that they eventually are going to take this course that you're talking about in finding themselves in this completely different paradigm, this this unconventional scientific paradigm. And they're still going to have this on their back that, what happens if it doesn't work? So what? It's only one lifetime in a personality self. We are seemingly indestructible at the core soul self level. Um, and so I had to face that question relative to um, starting down this path of, of this science. If I'm wrong, I'll find out. If I'm right, I will have helped. It's an adventure. Life is all about adventure. In good times and crappy times. And we're heading for crappy times. But out of that will come victory. Of course. Of course. We will... We will encounter so much more than we realize. I think we're just still at the baby stage of crawling along the floor of the universe. Uh, many orthodox science think, you know, it's the end of science, we know it all, all that. Baloney. They've only opened the door of the electric atom molecule world. I can think of uh, great artists like Van Gogh, Van Gogh, mm -hmm. sorry, you call mm -hmm. it over here. You know these amazing people who want to see success in their own lifetime. Um, Question of definition. Yes, and what one realizes is that it's it's such a wasted effort because yeah. you're all because this is one lifetime. Yes, you will continue. Yeah. The personal ego doesn't necessarily see it as a wasted effort, and that becomes important in the evolution of the individual when they are willing to keep their ego but put it in service to the larger whole rather than keeping it to oneself it makes a big difference and that requires that they have faith in the unseen that is benign and knows more and will assist their voyage this um, reminds me of a series that I started with with Dr. Susan Anthony about the hero mm. the hero admitting uh, being accepting of the fact that as part of that he's going he or she is going to make many mistakes of course but that they can recognize them fix them to illustrate to others that they have a hold on life yes that they understand yeah, the and they, road and they keep on keeping on yes looking back over your career what do you think at the end of the day your colleagues and friends at institutions like Stanford and Oxford will say one day when they see that your experiments are indeed valid except that they're not living in a world at the moment where they can appreciate them and possibly a lot of people couldn't because we don't see these other domains. What, what are your feelings about that? Uh... I would hope that they would eventually say that he opened another door for us to a lifetime of adventure. Yeah, it's a question of awakening to self, finding self, trusting self, being willing to make a mistake, being willing even to be wrong. Great learning in that. If there's a key element for anybody listening to this program now or in the future, what would be the key catalyst that somebody should look at in their life in order to find these levels, to find this spirit, to find this determination? Uh... From my perspective, 
the universe is open for them. The unseen universe, all we see is what our telescopes show us, and that's a very small part of what is. To recognize that each listener is a source. Ultimately, one doesn't like to use the words that uh, will become as God, but that's that's where we end up, uh, in essence. The latent potential within us is so vast, anything that we can imagine, we can create. We are creators, baby creators, but we're creators. And it requires that one trusts oneself, that one listen to oneself, that one listens within, that one trusts one intuition. You make some mistakes in the beginning, uh, but you'll grow and learn and enjoy uh, so long as you see it as an adventure, so long as you recognize that at a core level you're indestructible uh, and that this is a classroom. So make the most of it. That's sort of, that's how an optimist looks at things. <laughs> Professor Bill Tiller, thank you so much for joining me for these programs. I'm sure that we're going to be doing many more of these in the future. It'll be fun. I'll look forward to it. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this uh, series of three programs as much as I have. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. And you can also uh, visit uh, Professor Tiller's website, and I forget your website address. www.tiller.org. Very simple. And wherever you are in this world, um, I hope that you are well and uh, moving forward and being victorious in everything that you do. Meanwhile, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 